Hello, and welcome to the Writer's Game Podcast. I am Alex. I'm Preston. And today we will be talking about characters and what makes them strong, weak, or otherwise. Now, the important thing to note here, and this is this is a problem that Hollywood has, uh, a strong character does not mean physically imposing. You're not going to answer every single question that comes up. You're going to have the case of, uh, what do I do? Do I, do I save the world and kill myself, or do I kill half the planet and save myself? Uh, which do you do? The ready-made hero would stereotypically just uh, save the world and forget himself. But that's not a strong character. It, it can be. Yeah, it can be, but it's not a default. Yeah, you you have to establish that. And that's that's the first step to having a strong character, is something I like to call consistency. Your, your character cannot be like, well, I'm the super best hero ever, and I have no faults whatsoever in any given situation. And, uh... That, that includes a situation like, I hate crime, and so I will I will defeat all of the criminals except this one guy who was doing the crime for uh, a different reason than all the other criminals. He's the exception. You That's inconsistent. That's, that's Gary stewing your protagonist to being super good to to a ridiculous degree yeah i understand what you're saying and then you have another instance of it in video games where in the last of us uh ellie is struggling to accept that she's either hurt or killed someone and in the next gameplay sequence you have her picking up a rifle and killing dozens of raiders and i'm not talking about the zombies i'm talking about actual people this time that kind of messed up because it's not consistent as the character should be it's consistency that makes a strong character in video games an example of this would be what nathan drake you would say from the uncharted franchise and because i can only really speak for uncharted 4 a thief's end we have nathan who wants out he wants to get away from the treasure hunting life and he's just a simple uh diver for a recycling company well not a recycling company but you get the point he's a diver and then his brother shows up he loves his family he loves his brother but his brother's been dead for too too many years so my brother's going to be killed if he doesn't get the treasure i have to help him get the treasure i'm out of this life i went out of this life i don't want to back in but my brother that from what I've been able to tell of older games through reviews and videos of them, that's consistent. He loves his family. He loves his friends. He will do whatever he can for them. Yes, he's a treasure hunter, but he'll abandon the treasure to help people. He's he's like an Indiana Jones type figure. He's He may be treasure hunting, but he's still a good guy. And one reason why we're bringing this up is because you don't have to necessarily have the most epic plot and storyline for a game to succeed. 
uh, we've mentioned this in over in, not Overwatch. Uh, we I'm going to use Overwatch later. We've mentioned this in Doom 2016. There's not much about the story, but the character and the way you're interacting with them is fun. In Overwatch, for instance, uh, you have dozens of heroes that you can select from. Each of them, there's no, there's very little story in game. You get a little bit of interaction between them in there. You get a little bit of environmental storytelling. That's great. You get these little videos on YouTube. You get these little comics that pop up. That's where the characters are, are made. That's where the story is made. This British chick has a device on her chest that lets her control her own time. You have this woman who was kidnapped, brainwashed, and now has become an assassin. You have a soldier who's presumed dead, but he's too stubborn to give up the fight. These are the characters we're looking at. These are the people that are interesting to us. We don't care about the story. We care about them and the gameplay. I went and I looked up Overwatch. I, I was curious about the story because I, I, I had some misconceptions when I was discussing it with somebody. And uh, I I found a thread on like on like an Overwatch forum that broke down everybody's like current affiliation. And there's like nobody like there's a handful of actually good characters and then everybody else is like neutral and then there's like one actual villain uh two actual villains like in in the current timeline uh there's like four or five mercenaries there's like two characters that are evil because they have a grudge against a hero and that's it and then there's like two people that are like, actually, I want to set the world on fire. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this when you, when you read every character individually, you're like, this is an interesting character. And then you read the world they're set in, and you're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever read. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't pay attention to the story, and that's blasphemy for an English major who loves to read, who loves to talk about stories in video games for, to say but at the same time I don't care but the story in Overwatch isn't in the game like I said I don't care about Overwatch's story I like it because I like the characters I like the gameplay you mentioned Doom again and we're probably going to keep mentioning Doom because Doom is great uh I, 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 I was thinking about what to say for today. I, uh, I, I realized that I had a very interesting comparison to make. Uh, Doom Guy is not a strong protagonist. One of the weakest I've seen. Because there's like literally nothing to him. He doesn't talk. He doesn't have a, a character arc. He, he has like one trait, I want to kill the demons. Even in his backstory, there's like there's like nothing nothing to him there's a similar character kratos from god of war <laughs> we could also look at uh people zelda stupid link from zelda okay but but the the kratos comparison is very important for one really big reason they are both angry murderous 
potential psychopaths. But Kratos is the only one that inconsistently brings up my dead family that he murdered to get his powers. No, no. His his problem is that he says I was tricked. And then it's like, yeah, by kicking in the door and not stopping your murderous psychopathic rampage for five seconds. He already had the powers. But Ares was like, no, go to this place and kill these people. And he didn't realize it was his hometown. He didn't realize he kicked in his own door. And he didn't stop for literally one second, despite the people in the building yelling, oh no, don't kill us. And going, that's interesting, that sounded like my wife as I stab her repeatedly in the chest. But, but, that's... That's fine. That's I can I can accept the idea here is that, that Kratos' flaw is a very human one. He blames other people for his own mistakes. Yeah. The problem is that he proceeds to murder 17 other humans who probably have families of their own without any degree of sympathy. And then turns around and complains about how it's so unfair his family... His family got murdered. Inconsistency. You you don't get to do that. You don't get to make a character that is so such an asshole about everything and then turn on a dime and go, now here's a cutscene where you need to feel sympathy. Feel bad for him. He just burned his way through another village of innocence. He killed 17 other families to get here. And then he wants to stand here and cry about his own family? Fuck him. Supposedly they're trying to fix it in the new God of War. <laughs> I'm saying this because I have to defend the game that's being attacked. I, I didn't see anything in the new God of War that interested me. But now, now compare Doom Guy, who's a similar rageaholic. Who has a similar, uh, not not distaste, uh, apathy? Yeah, an, an apathy for for other people. In Doom twenty sixteen, one of the things is that uh, the the Mars base is siphoning energy from hell, and it's something like one battery of hell energy can power the entire globe of future Earth of a population of like fifty billion for a year. Like, energy crisis solved. Yeah. But demons are a side effect. Doom guy walks up to the machine making batteries and breaks it without a second thought. Like, no, fuck this. Everybody can go burn. I don't care. Stop the demons. But the Doom guy doesn't turn around and take off his helmet and monologue to the camera. My family was murdered by the demons. And then proceed to, like, murder 17 personnel on the Mars base. 
There's personnel left alive on the Mars base? No, not anymore. They're all zombies, but that's kind of the point, right? I know, I just had to say that. Kratos walks into a town full of people and murders seven different people to go kill a goat man. Doom guy doesn't kill any humans. He kills all of the all of the demons instead, and he doesn't have a bullshit backwards monologue about how he's right and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> he just does what he wants to do. Yeah. Doom guy is consistent. Kratos isn't. They're both weak characters, but one is a lot weaker than the other. It's not all about consistency. People still love Elastos, even though the character's inconsistent. Because it still has something to them outside of those inconsistencies. And as far as I'm aware, those inconsistencies aren't uh, central to the plotline of the game. Kratos is angry because his family was killed. Proceed to play a game. Ellie from The Last of Us. I don't like killing people, but I have to to survive. It's it's not that she doesn't like killing people because frequently she stabs people even before she picks up the gun. It's that until that moment she had never killed somebody and she was like, Joel, give me a gun. Joel, give me a gun. Joel, give me a gun. And then when she finally gets a gun and does it, she's like, mm, hang on, that was a little... Here's the gun. Ooh. And then, and then Joel's like, okay you've got to get used to reality now Aloy the protagonist of the new Horizon Zero Dawn please don't spoil it I want to play the game I won't I won't spoil it but I will mention that she is what I would call a middle of the road character she's she's not perfect she has a lot of like really dumb Mary Sue moments ah crud not not like game breaking but like like there's there's one point near the very end of the game it's this is very highly unspoilery uh you you find a map of earth and uh she like activates this this future console and this map of the globe comes up and she's like what is this and the guy that you're teaming up with at the moment says it's a map of the earth Aloy. that's right it's round not flat like you thought and she goes I didn't think it was flat every time there's an eclipse the shadow is spherical and I'm like you your tribe has the intelligence of thinking a mountain is a god how the fuck do you even know what a sphere is but but you've seen an eclipse You've seen the moon go over the sun once, and you went, oh, it's round. The planet I'm on must be round. I, I don't even know how you could figure that out from looking at an eclipse. I could go into speculation, but um, not right now. And, and again, a very minimal spoiler. The, the ultimate explanation for all of this is that she's the baby of a super genius. Like... That's it. That's your explanation. Her her mother was a future scientist. And it's like... I don't know. Does inherited intelligence defeat nurture? 
Moving on. Well, what what makes Zelda Ocarina of Time specifically very interesting is the characters. How so then? Well, you have the typical uh, childhood friend who has secretly always known that you were a Hillian. And so throughout the game, she's she's like your guide. You uh, you play a specific song, and you can communicate with her telepathically, and she tells you like the next place to go. Uh, out of a village of like ten people, half of them are kind of like Link, but she's like you're my friend, and so immediately out of the gate, you're like she's a nice person. And then the first thing that happens when you become an adult is, by the way, your best friend's been kidnapped. By the way, your hometown is overrun with monsters. Have fun. In this village that was supposed to be protected from monsters. Oh, no. So you go on the quest to get her. And when you free her, it turns out she's one of the seven sages. She's known all along that you were the hero of time and that there could never be anything between you other than we're buds. So take this medallion and go save the world. I'm sorry that I spent eight years of your life not being able to tell you any of this. And you're like, that kind of hurts. There's there's the Goron village that you save as a child. And when you come back as an adult, the chief has named his child after you. So you have to stop him. He's the, the kid's rolling around. He's the only Goron in the city. You have to stop him from rolling around with a bomb. And then he gets up and tries to threaten you by using your name. <laughs> so let's say you name your character Link. You, you stop him with a bomb and he stands up and he goes, I don't know who you are, but you better get out of here. I'm Link the Dodongo Slayer. I'm the strongest guy in the world. And then you're like, that's weird. My name's Link. And then he's like, you are the Link, the guy I'm named after. You gotta save my dad. <laughs> Shit's gone down. And it's like, alright. No, no, like, it's like the Spider-Man feeling, you know? Like, everybody's like, Spider-Man, yeah! And you're like, being Spider-Man's pretty cool. <laughs> Until J. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson gets on the big screen. But, like, it, it it's a unique feeling that for an early Nintendo 64 game, that's pretty cool. Like, you, you feel like there's an interconnectedness in the world and the characters and how they react and interact. Like the the Zora princess who gives you one of the three stones you need to unlock the master sword and says that it's known as the Zora's engagement ring. When you come back as an adult, she's like, you're the man I promised to marry. We're gonna get married, but hold on. First, we gotta stop the evil temple. And you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't. Uh, you're kind of a, you're, 
And then she turns out to be the sage, and she's like, well, this sucks. The wedding's totally been pushed off. <laughs> the, the way the, the characters interact in Ocarina of Time is really interesting. And it's not something you get in any of the others. Even in, in the other most popular one, Link to the Past, there's like not a single character you talk to more than twice. Your, your character has to grow or change in some way. It doesn't have to be done in a way that people like. A strong character can be the villain of the story that everyone wants to hate. But at the same time, you have to be careful from a game point perspective so that you, so people actually like the character. I, I would argue that God of War 1 is the strongest of the God of War series because Kratos can very easily be painted as the bad guy of that game. And if you look at him in that light, he's a decent character. But the rest of the games try way too hard to give him this sob backstory, and it doesn't work. Like, just make him an evil asshole. Let me, let me be the anti-hero or the villain. You could, and so we have consistency, which you mentioned, uh, you have to have people that actually, they don't, they don't, they don't change their personalities on the drop of a hat as the plot demands it. They're consistent throughout the story. Their game. Their, their change, their yeah. character arc is also consistent. Yeah. It's it's not like after this one scene of the game without any warning, suddenly Kratos is a good guy. It's it's gotta be you've gotta see it. You gotta see it evolve. You gotta see it like And it doesn't mean that you can't have plot twists. But any good plot twist, any good character twist foreshadowing. Yeah, you should be able to, on a second playthrough of the game, see hints that are pointing you to the answer. Through the way the characters act, the way they react. It should be obvious. Yes, you're not going to have perfect face mapping. Give them, give them a voice line. A single voice line that just says, as some subtle hint that, oh, yeah, that's this. Yeah, just hints. Like that's that's what makes a good story, is is good. You don't you don't have to be as blunt as a freaking club with it. You don't. I don't need to walk into the room and everybody be like, "This is the guy that's gonna help us, Sephiroth." And then dramatic music plays as he turns around, and goes, "Hello, player. I'm here to help you." All it will cost is someone dear to you. And then it's like, no, don't worry, he's just playing around. Oh, wow, what a twist. He was the bad guy. Moving on, you want everything the character does to be organic. Part of the consistency, but at the same time... Make them human. As best as possible. Do not, do not have, like, ridiculous situations that a person in this position would not logically be able to figure out and then have them go 
Oh, wait, no, I totally got it. Making, and just make sure that your character doesn't always have the answer. But they have the tools necessary to find the answer. Whether or not they like it, on the other hand, is a different matter. Not like Batman, where he's where he has everything he needs around him, but the person who they know the situation, they know the stakes, they need to figure out a way to fix it. It won't take them too long, but they need to find a way to fix it. A a moral quandary works yeah. just as well as a physical threat. For like. Having the tools to figure out the solution doesn't always mean, like, a literal tool and a solution to a physical problem. Fair enough. It can be, like, uh, having all of the information necessary in order to uh, solve a, a, a puzzle or a problem or something. Thank you for putting up with us. And don't forget to tune in next time where we will discuss what makes a good plot.